0: Thank you.
1: The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams, starting with his debut in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. Now here's your host, Jeff Cummings. Hello, it's great to have you here on The Baton. I'm really excited that you're here today because with this episode, I am bringing in my first guest co host, Gian Maria Caschetto. John Maria, it's great
0: to have you here. Welcome to The Baton. Oh, what an honor. Thank you for having me here. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. And hello to the listeners out there. So, John Maria, tell the listeners about yourself. Well, uh, I was born and raised in Milan, uh, in Italy. Uh, I moved uh, when I was 24 to Belgium, which is in Europe. And um, I have just a very, very normal life, a day job for a large IT firm around Brussels. And uh, But I am also uh, a an, an teacher, I teach Italian, and which is a very popular language in Belgium, if you're curious. And I also do some illustration work, even though I will call it mostly like a glorified hobby. Sometimes I get paid, more often than not, I'm not getting paid, but I do it really, really uh, with a great passion. And uh, one of the illustrations I did, uh, you can find on a website called The Legacy of John We will talk about it maybe a little bit more uh, at the end of the episode. is just a blog dedicated to the legacy of John Williams, of course. And i drawn the illustration that you can find of the homepage of this website. Now, this website is uh, curated by my brother Maurizio Caschetto, who is a big John Williams fan, one of the Italian authorities, and we grew up together actually listening to his music. As you are doing actually with your own podcast, I must tell you, especially that I'm really, really uh, loving this podcast that you're doing. It's a great idea. It's a great endeavor to go through the whole filmography of John Williams, something that I never attempted myself. So it's great to do it, even though vicariously through you, I have to admit that I didn't watch yet the very, very early films scored by John Williams, but it's a great opportunity to have your podcast just to listen to the music and to know a little bit about the story of, of the movie.
1: Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. So uh, it's it's great to have you here for this episode in particular. When, I, when we start talking about the movie, you'll, we'll, the listeners will find out that you have a great connection to this movie. Uh, and with this episode, <laughs> yes. we're going to enter the 1970s. Uh, We had spent 21 episodes in the 1960s following John Williams from a young composer suffering through assignments in B-movies to a celebrated artist who closed out the decade with an Emmy Award, a Grammy nomination, and two Academy Award nominations. It was evident that he was clearly in the upper echelon of Hollywood composers, and in a few short years, he would plant himself firmly at the top. When 1970 came around, John Williams was definitely in need of a break. He had just wrapped up six months of arranging and recording music for the musical Goodbye Mr. Chips and quickly composed a score for The Reavers as a replacement for a discarded score by Lalo Schifrin. For part of 1970, he did get the rest he deserved, but he did have a film in theaters that year. It was called Story of a Woman, a joint production between the U.S. and Italy, with Universal Studios providing most of the -the behind-the-camera talent. The movie was actually made in 1968, and John Williams wrote the score that year during a little downtime on Goodbye Mr. Chips. Now, if you remember, he also composed Daddy's Gone Hunting during that downtime as well, which definitely made for a grueling work schedule in late 1968 and early 1969. So, Maria, I know you will agree with me when I say that Story of a Woman is a very bad film. I know there are a lot of John Williams fans who are desperate to see this film and hear the music, and my advice is to just let it be. You really don't want to watch this movie. Just about everything associated with this film, the directing, the editing, the dialogue, and especially the acting, makes it feel like some college student's first film. The only bright part about it is John Williams' music, of course, which offers a main theme that's not his best, but certainly has to be applauded for its ability to elevate the emotion of the film.
0: Yes, actually, I I must say I really like the main theme of the movie, but I agree completely with the sentiment about the movie itself because it's not worth watching. It's not even an entertainingly bad movie, it's just bad, just plain bad. And I would say, you know, like the title, Story of a Woman, in Italian is Storia di una Donna. It's pretty generic, and the movie is generic as well. Uh, it's a very shallow, uneventful plot, uh, revolving around the love life of the main character. And it's almost like a bad 50s romance comic, but you know, but stretched for 90 minutes. I don't know, it's 90 minutes, I think, Uh, there may have been a longer cut of this movie, but I don't think it's uh, available anymore. Because it's strange, the the, the movie, we will talk about it later, seems to start a little abruptly. Unfortunately, this is the only way one uh, can listen to the score to the movie, because there is no commercial release available. I believe that the masters for the score are somewhere uh, still preserved, but I think that John Williams uh, decided not to have it published, maybe because it's associated with this such a terrible movie.
1: So yeah, it's a bad movie, but nonetheless, the film was planned for a winter 1968 release, but it was put on the shelf until February 1970, and I bet you Universal Pictures just decided to just clean out its vault and put it out in the theaters. The planned theatrical debut in 1968 meant the score had to be recorded in about summer 1968 when, as we said before, Williams was working on Goodbye Mr. Chips in London. So, Stanley Wilson, the music supervisor for Universal Pictures, stood in as conductor for the Italian orchestra. Now, before we talk about the music, John Maria, I'm going to go through the synopsis of the film as well as I can. Even thinking about it makes me dizzy, though. (laughs) The lovely Swedish actress, Bibi Anderson, who passed away just last month, plays Karen, a virtuoso piano player who is studying in Rome. She is in love with an Italian man named Bruno, and she finds out he is married. Karen returns home to Sweden, where she meets an American diplomat named David, played by Robert Stack. Karen and David get married and move to Washington, D.C., but David is assigned to the Italian embassy in Rome, And Karen runs into Bruno again. She swears she's not in love with Bruno, but over time she realizes that she cannot get over Bruno. So as is the case with every assignment he gets, John Williams sits down with the director, in this case Leonardo Bercovici, to watch a screening of the film. Now I would imagine John Williams has said no to several film offers, and I would really like to know why he said yes to this. If you saw this film without music, John Maria, would you have said yes to it?
0: <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. But in Williams' defense, I must say that a lot of movies are terrible to see before you put in the score. I think that even the first cut of Star Wars that John Williams saw, also maybe before George Lucas did all the restructuring that the movie needed, was probably terrible, you know, with standing special effects and stuff like that. So I think that probably John Williams took it upon himself to salvage the movie and to see what it was possible to do through the music to better the movie and I think also that he owed a debt of gratitude to uh, Stanley Wilson uh, because he was the head of the uh, musical department at Revue Studios which was the television arm of Universal Pictures. And that is where John Williams got his start composing for TV mostly. So probably he felt he, he just wanted to pay back to Stanley Wilson.
1: He probably looked at it and said, you know, I want to try to salvage this. And to his credit, he he kind of did. And he came up with some nice musical moments that we will discuss in this episode. Uh, Perhaps what you will hear will make you want to see this movie more, but again, we implore you to just simply enjoy the music we present to you since there is no commercial release of the score. So... Let's start with that music played in the opening credits. Now, like Gian Maria said, it starts abruptly, the film that we've seen. It just starts with the opening titles. And from what I have read online, there's supposed to be some kind of like a prelude to all this where we see how Karen and Bruno meet. So we don't really know. The first time we see Karen, she's walking through this market in Rome, and the music that's playing is unlike anything Williams has written before to begin a film. But I think it works quite well.
0: Yes, uh, this music sounds like a classical piano concerto, you know, in the manner of Haydn or Mozart. It does fit the plot if you think about it, since the character of Karen is a pianist. Uh, I think I find that it is an energetic piece, you know, something that pushes the footage along with some confidence and give uh, the footage some life. <laughs>
1: So after Karen finds out Bruno is married, the two have a moment in Bruno's apartment, lit only by the moonlight. Karen says nothing while Bruno pleads for her to stay. Though the strings and piano dominate the music here, pay very close attention to the melody played on the flute. This is the main theme of the film.
0: All right, what, what I felt. It doesn't mean we have to give up.
1: It doesn't. So Karen does leave Bruno, and on the train to Sweden she thinks back on the time she spent with Bruno.
0: Yeah, as Karen thinks back to her affair with Bruno, horns come in and state the main theme above a suspended texture of strings, celeste and harp. And Somehow this cue reminds me a bit of some of the arctic music from Superman, you know, just before the Fortress, the fortress of Solitude emerges. then continues with a moodier presentation of the same melodic material on flute in the low register with the addition of a pulse in bass guitar. Maybe it's supposed to sound sultry or seductive and dark at the same time.
1: You aren't the first, nor would you probably be the last.
0: It's not hard to love him, <laughs> is it? It's an overall nice piece of music, although it has some kind of start-stoppy feeling, like two musical tracks uh, interlacing rather than one single flow of music. Yeah,
1: even the flashbacks don't seem to kind of gel together to me. Uh, But I think all of that you talk about, the start-stoppy feeling, kind of has to do, I think, with just that sloppy editing job, more than the composition of the piece. I think when William saw the final cut, he had to write music that kind of fit that. Uh, But I would imagine the music editor on this film had a lot of late nights, though, trying to piece (laughs) the score together with that editing. It's possible. Uh, So after Karen has returned to Sweden, Bruno and his wife have an argument in the car. The argument gets very, very heated, and the car crashes into a ditch. Bruno survives, but his wife dies. There's a very abrupt cut from that tragic scene to summer in Sweden, when Karen seems to have moved on with her life. The textures in this orchestration are very rich with almost every section of the orchestra getting some attention.
0: This piece anticipates a little bit Williams' music for later romantic comedies or dramas like The Accidental Tourist or Stanley and Iris. There is momentum in the harmonic progression of the piece. It's what I like to call, uh, personally, I have a name for this, I call it Williams' uh, Breezy Bicycle Music. In the following scene, Karen meets uh, David Fraser, the well-off ambassador of the US uh, in Stockholm, played by Robert Stack. The cue underscoring their meeting is characterized by a tango like tempo, I would say. It's almost a lounge combo piece featuring electric guitar, percussions, lush strings, a horn pedal, and some ornamental flute lines, and some bass typical of the 1960s. I think it wouldn't be out of place in a Bond movie, you know, I think it's meant to represent the glamorous life of the US ambassador. No. Thank you. I'm out of gasoline. Oh, you are? You're the same girl, aren't you? Yes, I am. You made it back to shore? You made it back, too. <laughs> yes, yes, I guess I did. Well, anyway, uh, I'm David Frazier. I'm with the American Embassy here in Stockholm. I'm Karin Ullmann. Miss is over there. It's in there.
1: Uh, it's too heavy for you? <laughs> no, I can manage. You're a useful girl to run into. It's very lucky for me. You think
0: so? Oh, yes. Doesn't look good. Hope I can make it back. I'm sure you can. Well, I uh, better put the gas in boat, huh? As Karen tells David about their affair with Bruno, the main theme returns in a brooding rendition. Signed that she has not forgotten me after all. At this point, it's clear that this love theme, I think, is meant to represent the feeling of Karen for Bruno. It is also worth noting that in contrast, most of the scenes depicting the love story between David and Karen will play to no music.
1: Yeah, that's extremely interesting that he made that choice to not give Karen and David some sort of love theme, even at the beginning when it's still, it's a little bit pure and innocent. But I suppose not putting music in is William's way of telling us not to root for this relationship to work.
0: Now, I totally agree. Uh, I think it's a simple approach, but it works. But that to say that the character of David is more caring than Bruno, I say, but not having a theme for Karen and David keeps their relationship quite cold.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting.
0: Now, the following cue in the movie is uh, the pièce de résistance of the score, I'd say. <laughs> I like it to call it, you know, pearls before swine, because its quality clearly exceeds the artistic merits of the movie. You know, at this point of the movie, Karen has confessed to David that she might still love Bruno. She leaves David and her daughter for a, a Cortina d'Ampezzo, which is a luxury winter vacation locale in the midst of the Italian Alps. As the sequence begins, we have a new variation of the theme, with new textures in the harpsichord and a different rhythm and it is almost a mixture of the classical flavor of the main titles and the love theme and where we have one of the most complete and extended rendition of the full melody you know, comprehensive of the chorus parts uh, uh, of the melody the piece is developed with engaging ostinati and they reach an orchestral tutti you know meaning a point of the score where the entire section if not all the instruments plays at once you know tutti means everybody in italian After a passionate kiss between Karin and Bruno, the music proceeds with new major tonalities and making you think that the two will finally be happy. You know, there are rich modulations and they continue throughout the queue, and a new theme plays on a montage of a winter sports uh, footage. Uh, the dramatic modulating cello plays this four note motif almost reminiscent of the fugue-like theme we will hear seven years later in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and then horns join in, and we hear brass hits underscoring sporting accidents, and these sporting accidents trigger uh, Bruno traumatic memories in the movie. screeching tire sounds, overlays, and quick flashbacks from the car crash scene depicts Bruno's PTSD episode as the music becomes more and more ominous, and the piece reaches its climax with a staccato rising horn figure underpinned by string jolts.
1: You know, John Maria, as I was listening to this cue, it I felt like the past 80 minutes were, had been worth the wait. This was quintessential totally. John Williams. He was celebrating with Karen that she had this new life, and it was he was bringing out this main theme in a celebratory form by passing the main theme from piano to strings to flute, and it had everything we love in a John Williams score. Absolutely. So, we've been talking about the the main theme for a while, and we should mention that it was used as the main melody for a song. Now, Williams asked his good friends Alan and Marilyn Bergman to write the lyrics, and the Italian singer Ornella Fanoni provided the vocals, and when they wanted to translate the lyrics into Italian, they got the lyricist Antonio Amuri to translate it for them.
0: Sei due persone come noi non capiscono che tardi per dirsi addio, allora addio se hai deciso che fra noi c'è qualcosa di più forte del nostro destino. si può cancellare il ricordo di quello che sta John di più forte del nostro destino.
1: Maria, can you give us an English
0: translation of these lyrics? Yeah, so I'll try my best, you know uh, any attempt to. Translate a song if you are not trying to rewrite the song, you know, form. Sometimes the lyrics kind of fall apart because when you translate it in prose, it seems silly. But the general meaning of the song is this, and it says, If two people like us do not understand that's too late to say goodbye, well then, goodbye. And if you made your mind up and you think that something stronger than our own destiny can part us, then one over here the other over there we won't see each other anymore but i don't know how you could erase the memory of what has been one over here the other over there as you wish we finally ended up like that too now does it make any sense (laughs) i don't know if it yeah I, i like that translation
1: I wonder, do you think it would uh, sound just as good with the English lyrics or at least try to what hear what Alan and Marilyn Bergman wrote?
0: I would love to hear that. Actually, the title is quite different in English. It's, uh, it's so hard to say, I think. So I don't know if the translation in Italian is really, really a free translation based more on the plot of the movie or if there are uh, any similarities. I really don't know. Yeah,
1: I think we need to uh, have the Bergmans dig out that, that lyric.
0: Yeah, you know, you pick up a new um, um, young pop star and give the song, give it a, you know, dust it off and give it a new life. I don't know, it might work. It might.
1: So, Story of a Woman, as we said, was not released in American theaters until February 1970. I can't find any information on the box office performance of the film, which to me likely means that Universal Pictures did not make its money back on the production. I doubt John Williams was thinking much about Story of a Woman when it hit theaters because he was already hard at work on a massive film adaptation of the wildly popular Broadway musical Fiddler on the Roof.
0: Yeah. I believe John Williams soon forgot about this movie like the rest of the world. (laughs) I know for a fact that when Professor Emilio Audesino had the opportunity to question him about this production out of curiosity, you know, Audesino being Italian, Williams could not recall much about it, but he remembered very fondly singer Ornella Vanoni. Now, well. Interesting. It must be said that, you know, from this moment on in your podcast, you will probably notice uh, uh, any way that John Williams will apply his art to, to better and better and better movies. You know, here and there, there might be some, some movie that is not as good as the previous ones, uh, but, you know, in general, the level of movie that he will work on will be always the top. I think with really a couple of exceptions from this moment on in his filmography. So he's always been very, very wise in his choices of movies.
1: Although I will say that you know a lot of his directors have said that they that John Williams has made their movies better. Most famously, Steven Spielberg said without his music, Jaws would probably not have made one dollar at the box office.
0: <laughs> I, I I agree with that, but the filmmaking in Jaws, you know, is still pretty good. <laughs> and then if yeah. you compare yeah. it with Story of a Woman, then Steven Spielberg is god.
1: <laughs> yeah. So if you compare it to Story of a Woman, Jaws is the best movie ever made. <laughs> Absolutely. So, John thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I had a blast talking to you oh, about Soria the Woman.
0: The same over here. It was really, really fun. And thank you for having me. Thank you for giving this opportunity to join in to your wonderful podcast. Uh, looking forward for next episodes by you. Uh, maybe we can do this one time again in the future absolutely we don't i don't think there are any more
1: italian films that does not mean that you don't have any kind of connection to them no but, that's because um, yeah. you're
0: not that's because you're not covering yes giorgio but i know that this is not a score by williams it's just a song uh but that that for me is an example of entertaining bad movie with pavarotti singing i really have a soft spot for that one <laughs>
1: I disagree with you there, because I have seen Yes, Giorgio, and I really wanted to hear the song as proper Roddy performed it in the film, and I had to sit through a long film before that <laughs> happened, and I was it was almost to the point where I said, you know, I don't need to really hear this, I'm just going to stop.
0: <laughs> okay, if you allow me just one thing, I would just like to remind people to check out the legacy just spell it like that. It's a wonderful website curated by my brother Maurizio. It's essentially a collection of interviews. Some are written, some are audio interviews about uh, the legacy. So uh, it's about a lot of people who worked with John Williams. So it gives you an idea of what a great gift John Williams has been to the musical world. And uh, it's really worth uh, a visit.
1: Yeah, please, everybody visit his website. It's very informative. You, You really do learn a lot. And I want to thank Maurizio for providing a lot of the uh, information that we uh, gave our listeners today. Yes. Uh, A lot of these things that I, you know, I dug and dug and dug for information I couldn't find. So kudos to Maurizio for being able to find out some of these things. So I enjoyed this so much, uh, my time with John Maria, that I'm going to do this next week with another guest host to talk about John Williams' second TV movie project, Jane Eyre. So thanks, everybody, for listening today. And until next time. The baton is down.